Today's meeting is dedicated in memory of our dear team member, Boris Velko. Today I'm going to speak on the topic, Delayed Promises. But before I do so, it is my great privilege to introduce to you my wife and my sweetest friend, Beverly. Everyone loves teddy bears. We purchase them as gifts for babies, children's birthdays, we take them to the hospital to cheer up people, dealers buy for profit, and collectors like me buy them for just pure joy. Who made the first teddy bear? Toy bears have been around in Europe at least since the 1880s, but it was America who gave the name teddy bear to the world around 1905. They were so named after then President Teddy Roosevelt. One of the highest prices paid for a teddy bear was paid by a Southern Californian couple in 1989. It was for a 1926 German-made Steiff bear named Happy, which went for over $86,000. No wonder he was happy. To me, teddy bears represent friendship. And I just want to introduce you to several of my dear friends. Oh, this is a polar bear, as you can see. And he's all dressed up in his pajamas or pajamas and ready for bed. He'll just sit there for me. This is my animal print bear. I love animal prints, whether in furnishings or clothes. I just think they're so cute. This is my garden variety because it's made out of flowers, which I also love very much. This is the beautiful American brown bear. And here I have my pink and my blue bear. There, that's a boy and a girl, you see. And I think they're cute also. And where would we would be without Pooh Bear? <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. This is probably the oldest fictional bear in the world and uh, the best known, I should say, and he's been around since about 1924. And this is my favorite. I carried this one home all the way from Moscow so he wouldn't get lost or stolen. And I told my Russian friends in Moscow, every time I give him a hug, I'm sending them one. And so this is very precious to me. And by the way, all my bears except this one, they were made in China, so they're not worth over $86,000 but still I love them very much. Yes, teddy bears represent friendship. They have characteristics that we look for in a human friend, and they remind you and me of the kind of friend we should be. So why do we love them? Well, firstly, teddy bears never nag you if you put on a little bit of weight. Being quite chubby themselves, they never bother you if you put on a pound or two here or there. They love you as you are. Secondly, have you ever wondered why teddy bears look so relaxed? Their philosophy is those who live with too much tension seldom live to enjoy the pension. <laughs> and so they never worry too much. It's good to have a friend who'll say, hey, take it easy or ease up on yourself. 
A third reason we love teddy bears is because they are just the most huggable people. If you're feeling blue, you can give them a hug and they'll give you one right back. All of a sudden, you'll feel fuzzy and warm inside. This leads us to reason number four. Teddy bears are always there for you. Best of all, they won't criticize you even when you foul up and fall flat on your face. They'll love you still the same. Number five, teddy bears have no hang-ups about old age. For the older they get, the more valuable and appreciated they become. Remember, happy bear? The Bible teaches our need to respect and appreciate the wisdom and experience of older folks. These are some of the characteristics that make for great friendships. Did you know that every person in the world has such a friend available to them? The Bible tells us that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and that friend is Jesus. Teddy bears we have as friends, yes. Human friends, yes. But Jesus, his friendship is priceless, and yet without cost. And if we, if we cultivate it daily through prayer and Bible study, we'll be able to sing that beautiful old hymn, The Best Friend to Have is Jesus. Amen. The woods are lovely and dark and deep but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep this topic which is dedicated to our team member Boris Belko is entitled delayed promises delayed promises A warm, caring couple came with us six times to Russia and Ukraine and Siberia. Boris and Debbie Belko. What a blessing they both have brought to millions of people around the world. They came with us to St. Petersburg, Kiev, Nizhny Novgorod, traveled right across with us on the Trans-Siberian Express. Then they came with us to Beijing, caught the Manchurian Express up through China, then came in the southern part of Russia, right across Russia again. On another occasion, Boris and Debbie came with me in the dead of winter, in a January, when it was minus 40 degrees in parts right across those places, visiting our people and helping to preach the gospel. They've gone with us, as I mentioned, on the Trans-Siberian Hope Express. That was in 1997, in January. We called it 6,000 Miles of Grace and Glory. Starting in Moscow in the dead of winter, traveling right across Siberia, coming down to Vladivostok. And the team gave out, gave out Bibles and vitamins and medicines and thousands of gospel audio cassettes. We visited places with strange sounding names like Novosibirsk, 
Ekaterinburg, Nova Ekuts, um, Omsk, and many other places. And as the train would come in at all hours of the day and night, the trip took eight days. Eight days, it's the longest train ride in the world. And as the train would come into a place like Novosibirsk at two o'clock in the morning, Boris would be the first person hanging out the door of the great famous train. And uh, he would start to play, sometimes minus 30, minus 40 degrees, two in the morning, four in the morning, noontime, we stopped dozens and dozens and dozens of times, but as the great train came to a stop, he would start to play, lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. He believed that Jesus was coming again. He believed in the blessed hope. I will never forget those experiences. Pastor B.J. Christensen was also with us on that occasion. He too is sleeping in Jesus. Two of our team members from that train are sleeping in Jesus because Boris fell asleep in Jesus just a few days ago after fighting a great fight of faith. But I can remember BJ getting out the Bibles. Firstly, he would wake me up, wake up the team members, then we would pass out the Bibles. We passed out 6,000 Bibles. And there we, we would see standing on a railway station at four in the morning or the middle of the night, a group of Siberian Christians, faces shining. They would greet us with bread and salt and then they would sing to us. Boris would play the silver trumpet and I would preach the word. I believe that in years to come, the people will never forget hearing the silver trumpet from the Trans-Siberian Express. A few months ago, we went to Kharkov, the second largest city in Ukraine, and conducted a vast evangelistic campaign with hundreds of thousands of people coming, cumulatively speaking. Auditorium seated some 6,000 people. Thousands were turned away who couldn't get in. We had two sessions every night. And a few days before we were due to leave for Kharkov, I got a message saying, Boris is sick. And he was determined to go. He said, I'm going to go. But Dr. Houston, who also came with us, who was a very dear friend of ours, whom we love and appreciate very much, told him, Boris, you should stay. Debbie and you have a new fight. It was discovered that cancer had invaded his body. But no person fought stronger than Boris Belko. A fight of courage, hope, and faith. And every day he was sending emails and messages to people saying, God is good. And in the last moments of his life, he said, 
Jesus is going to win this battle. And he did. Boris died a conqueror. And today we dedicate this meeting on the blessed hope entitled Delayed Promises to Boris Belko. And we do so with love and respect and warm, fond memories. We wish to honor at this stage his beloved wife, Debbie. This lady is a soldier of the cross. You know, they said about the brave American astronauts, they had the right stuff. This lady has the right stuff. We appreciate you, Debbie. We admire you and we respect you. And you've come a long way today from Palm Springs and uh, you're going to say something to the congregation. First, I want to thank each and every one of you for your support, for your love, and for your prayers. It, Boris and I felt it. We were surrounded by your love, and that's what kept us going every day as we struggled through the horrible terrorist called cancer. But you know, like Pastor Carter said, the last day, 10 days ago on Wednesday morning, Boris did say, God is in charge. He is going to win. And when Boris died in his chair at home, I almost felt a sense of envy because his battle was over. He won, don't you see? Death did not win. Satan lost at that time because when Boris fell asleep, he has no more attacks of Satan. Satan cannot tempt him one more time. We are the ones that are left behind that Satan wants to tempt. And we have to re remain firm and faithful. And right now, the passion in my life is not only my passion, but my husband's passion. Because Jesus is coming soon. It is short. Life is indeed nothing but a vapor. And please, each and every one of you, it is our desire, it is my prayer for each one of you that you will get to know Jesus personally, not just who he is, but what he is to you. Our prayer began, oh, the last few weeks of his life was, Lord, I want to want you more than I want to want anything else in my life. Listen again. I want to want you more than I want to want anything else in my life. You know what that meant for me? I had to open up my hands and open them high to this Lord and say, Lord, I want you more than I want my husband healed. Oh, no, I don't. Yes, I do. Can you say that today? Lord, I want to want you more than I want anything else in my life. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Don't forget it. There was one thing that also kept me going. I didn't understand it, and I really don't understand it, but I have faith and I believe it. Found in Ministry of Healing. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose of which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. Amen. Can you believe that? Right now it's very hard for me to understand that this is what I would choose. 
but God knows. And if this is where God wants me, then my friends, this is exactly where I want to be. So I thank you and remember, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Praise God. God reading last night the book of Genesis in this life there is nothing more certain than our own death I would like you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 5 my precious friends Genesis chapter 5 want to welcome our television audience today too around the world we're here today in memory of Boris Belko. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. Notice these words. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years. What does it say? Then he died. Verse 8. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years. Then he died. Verse 14. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years. And then he died. Verse 20. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years. And then he died. But verse 24 says, Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more. Because God took him away. I would like to remind every person today that although it is true to say in the midst of life we are in death, it is also true to say that in the midst of death there is life. Back there, these people did not understand the truths that we understand to the extent that we understand them. Oh, certainly they had grace and they had wonderful truths, but certainly their depth of understanding was not the same as the understanding of a person who lives in the light of the New Testament gospel, the cross. But the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God. God took him. And this was to give to those people back there who were experiencing that which was foreign death, hope, so that they might know that even though we all go down to the grave, we don't all need to stay in the grave. Enoch walked with God and escaped death. And one day I would remind each of you, all who walk with God will escape death. Why am I so sure? Because of the promise of Christ's return. That is why. Would you please take your Bible and turn over to the words of our blessed Lord. In John chapter 14 and verses 1 down to 3. John chapter 14 and verses 
1 down to 3, to the words of our blessed Lord. John 14, verses 1 down to 3. Please notice the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus has made a promise. Can I remind you, dear folks, of something? A man is as good as his word. Jesus has made a promise. Apparently, the promise has been delayed. But it will still come to pass. Come with me over here to Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Titus chapter 2 in the Bible. This is a Bible reading, Bible believing church. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. The only authority we have in this church, only divine authority, is the authority of the Holy Scriptures. Titus 2 verse 13, the Bible says, While we wait, what does it call it? The blessed hope, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible calls the second coming the blessed hope. Why is the return of our Lord the blessed hope? Listen, because for some of you who are watching this telecast for the first time, this may be a revelation. Death in the New Testament is not called the blessed hope. Death is called the last great enemy. And the last great enemy is not destroyed until the blessed hope occurs. And so we look forward with keen anticipation to the coming of the Lord when he shall abolish death. It is apparently a delayed promise. Would you please come to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews that was written to encourage Christians who were almost ready to give up the faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. This chapter talks about the greatest people that the world has been privileged to know, though unrecognized in their own day. Hebrews 11, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Look at me. Death did not give them the things promised. Well, of course you say, that goes against all theology that is taught. That may be so. 
But all that theology that is taught goes against the Bible then. Because the Bible says the saints of God, please notice it again, verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Who are all of these people? Of course, in the context, all of these people are Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Daniel and David and in a larger context, Peter and Paul and John and James. All of these people died hoping to receive the promise, but they did not receive it. And so there is a delay. And although the promise of God is delayed, I want you to know that all of God's promises are absolutely certain. Would you please turn to Hebrews chapter 6? And notice it in the word of God. Hebrews 6, I have you turn to the texts because one text is a million times more powerful than all the words that the greatest preacher can say in a million years. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 and onwards. The heading says, the certainty of God's promise. Hebrews 6, 13 and onwards. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised, but only partially. He received a son. He received a son. Verse 16 and onwards, men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure or steadfast. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Bible says that when God said this, he made it as a promise and he confirmed it with an oath. So the two things that show that God cannot lie are his oath and his promise. I have a very dear friend in Australia who's a businessman who has supported our ministry for many, many years. Generous 
and kind. His name is Keith Johansson. Keith has handled hundreds of millions of dollars in business transactions, never with an attorney. He says if you need an attorney to do a business deal, it is because both you are crooked. He said to me, John, I have done many, many deals with gold and all types of commodities, and I do it with people that I trust. On the shake of a hand, He said to me, if a man cannot do that, he is not a good man. He is a dishonorable man. That's the saying that a man is as good as his word. A man who makes a promise and breaks his promise is not a good man but a liar. And liars will not inherit the kingdom of God in spite of the doctrine of cheap grace. When God made a promise, God was not a liar because he cannot lie. And although the promise is delayed, I want you to know this, it is also determined. God in the councils of heaven from all eternity, determined that he would put an end to this reign of sin and he would come again. He determined it. And when he determined it, he did it deliberately. He did not do it as an afterthought. It was deliberate. And then he declared it to the world. And thus it became definite. Determined, deliberate, declared to the world and thus it became definite and you can believe it. Now today we live in an age of great skepticism. Skepticism breeds skeptics. We live in an age when people say, all this talk about the Lord's return, I've heard it all my life and it hasn't happened. Other skeptics say, well, if you go back a thousand years, they were expecting the end of the world. But I would remind you that although the promise is delayed, it is determined in the counsels of God, it was done with deliberation by Almighty God, it was declared to the world and the universe, and therefore it is definite. It is utterly certain as we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 39. Hebrews 11 and verse 39 and 40. My dear friends, this is the chapter that talks about the greatest men that the world has ever seen, all believers in God. The great army of the faithful. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith. Before we read on, I would like to comment on this. 
These were all commended for their faith. But I would remind every person here today that faith is demonstrated by what we are and by what we do. Faith is not a declaration. It is not a talk. Faith is not a debate or a discussion. Faith is not holding something secret in my heart. Some say, I have faith, but it is a private matter. You do not have faith. You have presumption. So faith is a daring, living thing that casts a person out into the hard, cold world to communicate the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. That is faith. Anything less than that, in the words of Charles Dickens, is humbug, sir. So please read the text with me. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That is an amazing text, is it not? It tells me that the greatest of the saints of God Men like Abraham, and we could include the great saints in the New Testament, have not yet received that which was promised to them. And what was promised to them? The kingdom of God, an inheritance of life eternal. And yet the text says it was promised to them and they have not received it yet because God has a better plan and this gives you the reason for the delay. That all of God's people, all together, will be made perfect and receive immortality when Jesus comes. Listen. Is coming, Sister Debbie, although delayed, will make all things right and abolish death forevermore. The man who would tell you that he knows the reason for suffering has probably never suffered. We have some ideas about the reason for suffering. We know that suffering is caused because we are a part of a sinful fallen humanity. We know this. By one man sin entered into the world and thus death by sin. And so death passed upon all men because all have sinned. But we do not understand why it is that some apparently are chosen to suffer much pain and others, even cynical of God and his grace, go through life laughing and joyous. It sometimes happens. Not always, mind you. So the mystery of suffering is something that we cannot 
we cannot really fully understand or comprehend. But Debbie, the truth of the matter is this. When Jesus comes, he will make all things right. And he will tell you why. And when he tells you why, you will say, I am glad that I held on to my faith knowing that if I could have seen the end from the beginning, I would not have chosen it to be any other way because God's plan is far better than mine. Jesus is coming in power. He's coming in glory. He's coming in majesty and he's coming in person. He's coming with holy angels and he's coming with the sound of trumpets. And all God's people together will become perfect and immortal. Please come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This great chapter that sounds the trumpet call for the Christian. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and onwards. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and onwards. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, like Boris, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. One moment. Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's going to bring them as it says in other parts of the scriptures. He's going to bring them from the grave. He doesn't bring them from heaven. He brings them from the grave. Jesus our Lord came from the grave. He was brought from the grave and so Jesus when he comes will bring all the saints of God from the grave. Read on with me. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. When Jesus comes back in power and in great glory as the judge of all men and as the redeemer of his children, he comes back with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ, whether they be sleeping in forest, lawn, or some other place, they will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will hear the trumpet sound. Please come to 1 Corinthians 15, which is the only chapter in the Bible concerning the state of the dead and the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
Now verse 51 and onwards, and it tells you how this happens. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I'm sure everybody in the church today has listened many times to the Messiah by Handel. There's one section in it that I love with all my heart. It's called The Trumpet Shall Sound. And the singer sings, The trumpet shall sound. Then the trumpet comes in and plays with glory. And all through the song, the trumpet is playing. That is how it is going to be. The trumpet shall sound. And uh, Abel, the first martyr, Noah, the man who saved his people from the flood, Abraham, and Sarah, and Isaac, and Rebekah, Joseph, Daniel, and Samson, John, and James, and Peter, and Paul. Out of vast multitude that no man can number, from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, white people, black people, brown people, and all the different shades will come forth. Boris will be there to enjoy the music. And B.J. Christensen, who became our friend, who came with us twice to Russia, he will be there. Because although he too was stricken with cancer and fought the good fight of faith, he fell asleep in Christ, but BJ is going to be there. And I would remind you for your comfort and your edification that none of these people were perfect. They made mistakes. Abraham told a lie about his wife because she was so beautiful. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then the awful crime of murder of Uriah the Hittite. James and John are called by our Lord Boagenes, sons of thunder. They were hot-headed. Martha and Mary. Martha was always fussing. And Mary had been a prostitute. A 
prostitute. Peter was self-confident and impulsive. None of these people were perfect, but they were all saved by the miracle of divine grace. And the great comfort to the soul as the soul faces death is not our perfection in ourselves, it is our perfection in the Christ who died for us on the cross. And the fact that the Christ who died for us on the cross came forth from the tomb and lives forevermore. Would you imagine the scene? The trumpet is blowing. It is sounding. And just maybe when Boris is resurrected, an angel will say, here is your trumpet, Boris. Blow for Jesus. And the angels will be singing. It'll be like the greatest concert you've ever been to with the trumpets playing and all of the angels, millions of them singing and laughing and praising God. Loved ones greeting, embracing. In that day, I'll even be hugging. (laughs) People will be hugging. Those with an Anglo background. I will go no further. This sermon is getting out of control. (laughs) Let me talk about the angels singing and the loved ones greeting and people will be trying out new bodies. Trying out new bodies. Oh, it works so good. Has anybody got a mirror? Oh! Everyone is instantaneously young. Ladies, there'll be no facelifts needed in heaven. Or rinses. Or injections in the skin to make everything look tight. It is going to be the world's greatest and grandest party. Ah, my friend, it may be delayed, but I tell you, it is definite. Please notice Hebrews 10, verse 36 and 37. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 36 and 37, my beloved ones. Hebrews 10, 36 and 37. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. Therefore, in view of all of these things, I punctuate it. Therefore, let us be numbered with the people of God, not with the people of the world. 
Let us believe the grand old gospel that Christ died on the cross for the ungodly. Let us repent of our sins and be truly sorry for our transgressions. Let us accept the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Let us today determine by the grace of God to be there when the trumpet sounds. Amen. Amen. Please kneel. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grand old gospel. We thank you that we have hope, which is an anchor for our souls. We thank you that our God cannot lie, that although it appears that the promise is delayed, we thank you, our Lord, that it is absolutely definite. It is absolutely certain. Today, our Father, on our knees, we think of a life that was lived for God. We thank you for Boris. We thank you for his love for you and his love for his fellow men. I personally thank you, Lord, that he came with me and his beautiful wife six times to Russia and Ukraine to help preach the gospel and to blow the trumpet. And Lord, I'll never forget as the great train crossing Siberia in the middle of winter would roll into the station where a group of believers would be waiting, minus 30, minus 40. I'll never forget, Lord, BJ, passing out the Bibles, and I'll never forget, Lord, Boris standing there on the step of the car and the sound of the silver trumpet ringing across that part of Siberia and the message that was heard, lift up the trumpet, loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. We dedicate this program to him today for the glory of God. We pray that people who are in the congregation today and who are watching the telecast will know that the only thing that is certain in this life is the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus died for our sins. And we thank you that he said in the long ago, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Teach us to know today that this faith is a dynamic thing. It is a faith that claims Christ as the sin bearer. It is a faith that changes the life, that makes the sour person sweet the cold person warm,
The disobedient person, obedient. The faithless person, faithful. Oh God, include us today with the people of God. Write our names down, Lord, with Daniel and Joseph and Peter and Paul and John and James, not because we're good enough, but because we're trusting in Jesus and his mercy. As we're praying today in our church, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of, of the Spirit of God, how many would like to raise a hand and say today, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm raising my hand today. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. You know, he's called the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? Christ means Messiah. Jesus means Savior. And Lord means Master. A lot of people accept him as the Messiah. Oh, sure, he's the Messiah. He's Christ. Other people say, well, I want him as my Savior. Sure, I just want to be saved. But very few people want him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And this appeal today is to accept him as the Lord, the Master, as Jesus, the Savior, and the Christ, the Messiah. So today, Lord, we're accepting by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus is coming. We thank you that although the promise is delayed, the promise is declared, determined. Yes, it is definite. Nothing can stop it. Oh God, we're looking forward to that great getting up morning and for that tremendous party when the saints of God are going to be singing with the angels and the trumpets are going to be blowing. God's people are going to be hugging everybody saying, thank you, Jesus. So bless these dear people today, Lord, with this blessed assurance. We pray this, asking for the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus' precious name. And for his sake and for his glory, amen and amen.